This is the Chicago Podcast Network. Hey everybody, thank you for downloading uh, this episode on the Chicago Podcast Network. I am Nick Serranos. Coming up on the show today, we're going to talk uh, about what happened on Memorial, uh, over Memorial Day in the city. Uh, we're going to get into where we're at with the Trump candidacy, the primary system, California, all of that. Uh, and it kind of is going to get into the idea of a third-party candidate, which AJ is very passionate about. I hope you enjoy his points. I know I did. Other than that, ladies and gentlemen, you can find us on Facebook, Chicago Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter, Chi-Town Podcast One. You can email us, Chicago Podcast Network at gmail.com. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. I can't ever say that enough. Tell your friends, share this stuff on, uh, on the Facebooks, on the Twitter, all of that. Other than that, which I've said three times, here we Hey, everybody. Thank you for downloading this episode of Out Front with AJ and Nick. I am Nick Sarantos, editor-in-chief and host of Chicago Podcast Network, joined over the interwebs and Skype by my good buddy, AJ Signeri. AJ, say hello to the people. Hey, people. And that's what we call the propers, ladies and gentlemen. It's all out of the way and done. So, what to start with? Well... Uh, last week we did a show getting ready for the weekend and we kind of talked politics. We talked about the NRA, which was a fun little thing to do. And, you know, surprisingly, we, we didn't get any death threats, but that's because we're not nearly as famous as we'd like to be. So, you know, I'd like to be famous enough, AJ, that people get mad at us for talking about guns. That, that'd be a nice problem to have. It's going to happen soon. Well, that's, that's good. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm shooting for, really, more than anything else. Um, the part of what we were talking about, though while we were getting ready for the weekend was the fact that we know for a fact that Memorial Day will always end with uh, shootings in the city of Chicago. So six people were shot and killed, and another 42 uh, were injured in gunfire from Friday through Monday. And the Tribune is actually reporting even higher than that, saying that 69 people were shot over the weekend as well. Uh, it's It's, you know, Memorial Day in Chicago kind of, Settle all the winter beefs at all the barbecue. And uh, I just want AJ to talk to you about this because we had a big story that broke while all this was going on. And it involved the very important tale of a gorilla being shot. And uh, as sad as that is in some way, I really don't give a damn uh, at all because I don't care about animals and I'm okay with that. The Unless it's a dog, which I love dogs. Other than that, I don't care. And... The people freaking out saying, oh, well, this gorilla is dead because this parent is bad and who's to blame and should they have done it and all this. And it's just like, motherfucker, six people are dead in the city of Chicago and none of you are batting an eye because they're poor and they're black and you don't give a shit. But you care about this gorilla in a zoo because it makes for good pictures on the Internet. Because you can put up a picture of a gorilla and go, this gorilla is dead for whatever. So put up the same pictures of six kids and nobody seems to give a shit, AJ. And it it kind of pisses me off. I'm just curious if, if you think that I'm wrong by saying I don't care about the gorilla or where you're at with this whole stupid society that we all live in. I mean, I think people should care about <clears throat> what happened. Um, I think there's a lot of discrepancies of, you know, why this is an issue um <clears throat> i mean is it should it be a big media story not so much um is there some leeway as to why this is an issue of course um 
I have never been a proponent of zoos. Um, I'm all for like sanctuaries and, you know, trying to put animals in their natural habitat instead of constructing these zoos for even, I understand where zoos come from. They're, you know, they, you're supposed to, they're supposed to be there for educational purposes as well as, you know, um, rehabilitate and all that good stuff. But at the same token, when you have situations like what happened with Harabi the gorilla, who, yes, indeed was a 400-plus silverback gorilla who can do damage because <clears throat> um, that's what silverback males do. They're, they're just a very powerful beast. And so I understand what the zoo keepers did, the zoo personnel did. I just disagree that you know, shooting it was like the outright thing, even though they felt that tranquilizers wouldn't sit in on time and everything. Because, I mean, for all of us who remember, a similar situation happened at the Brookfield Zoo when when the boy, I believe it was a boy, who fell in the gorilla pit <clears throat> and won the indoor exhibits. Um, they never shot that gorilla. In fact, that gorilla still lives, and I think it died in, in, in the zoo, if I remember right. So, I mean, I, I think there, I just feel that what they did was incorrect in my personal view. And I think we really need to start looking at what zoos need to be. And for God's sakes, people, put your kids on a leash. Well, hold on a second, because... Hold on a second, because this is the kind of thing that I want to I want to talk to you about. Because I don't. I, again, I don't care if the choice is to save a child or to save the gorilla. You save the child, and anyone who has a problem with that, you can find me on Facebook or Twitter or Gmail, and I will debate the morality of saving a human life over an animal uh, anytime. If, if if the choice is Adolf Hitler or the gorilla, the gorilla still dies. I'm sorry, it's a human being versus an animal, and that's just the way I am. And it, it's, again, I, I would look like at the, the situation on the south side and just go, I don't care about a gorilla being killed in a zoo because a kid fell into there. And also, this is the other thing I want to put out there. Anybody who's going after the mom in this scenario or the parents or whoever was there, go fuck yourself. Because I've seen kids at stores and at malls and myself as a child and i'm assuming you you little pain in the ass aj were probably not the most attentive kid when it came to staying next to mom's side so kids do stupid things and they get in trouble and the situation that happened in cincinnati the the gorilla if if, if the if the call do you think anybody involved in that scenario wanted to kill the gorilla I mean, not like that's like the first thing on their mind is like oh let's kill the gorilla that's not like the forefront of their mind okay so but at the same token they went from okay we can do this but let's just shoot it i don't know i but again and, and, I'm, and i'm sorry i've been to zoos also and yes kids will be kids but the way most zoos are constructed Anyone, and I've seen the YouTube videos where people have jumped, even adults jumped, into polar bear pits, elephant pits, etc., etc. But know, what's the one, an, what's the one animal? Like doing that, but kids, even at Brookfield Zoo, Milwaukee County Zoo, St. Louis Zoo, they could easily 
climb over those things and fall into the 15-foot drop. Right. That's kind of my point. So put your kid on a leash. Okay, fine. I, I just... I, I don't have a problem with the gorilla being shot. I have a problem with six people being killed on the south side. No, and, 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 that's, and, and that's, I think that's, that's the other thing, too, is, like I said, I don't think it should have been, like, the front page story on every media outlet because there are things that need to be talked about, like kids being shot on the south side over Memorial Day weekend. I mean, that should be out front on those things. Um, not this one story because, yeah, I mean, this happens. That happens every day. Animals don't get shot at zoos on an everyday basis. This is probably the first time in three years this has happened. Yeah, and and you know we're not including the horse track in all of this, which is a whole other thing. It's it's just I don't know, man. I just I see this news story become this big freaking thing, and I get really upset. Because while this story is being reported, and I hate, by the way, it, this isn't one of those while the, the media is, the me, you know, the the thing you see online while this was story was being covered, you were this was being hidden from you. No one's hiding anything from you. the The internet runs on math. So if you go to CNN, I think I've done this before with you, AJ. If you go to CNN and you have two stories to choose from, one story is. Six, six kids killed on, in Chicago. The other is gorilla shot by zoo. Most people click on gorilla shot by zoo instead of the kids, and that becomes the leading story because that's what the data says that people are interested in. And at the end of the day, uh, whether you like it or not, news is a business, and they go where the people are paying attention to. So instead of getting 24-hour straight coverage, live footage from the city, we get live footage from outside the zoo for three days where we already knew what had happened. Why are there still reporters there? What? Honestly, this is... That's the thing, too. You're right that there is an algorithm to why certain news stories trend and everything on social media as well as news outlets and everything. But having said that, I think you can also agree with this, that the media can also manufacture that as well. Oh, absolutely. They did that with the uh, Malaysian plane where they kept coming up, CNN especially, where they kept talking about uh, all the information that they kept getting in, all the, you know, my favorite things. CNN's breaking news header is on 24-7. You know, and, and it's like, oh, well, we've, we, we may have found a toothbrush from one of the people on the plane. Oh, no, DNA testing shows that it was just a toothbrush from some dude from Australia who threw it into the water because he broke up with his girlfriend and all he had to throw was a toothbrush. You know what I'm saying? I read that story. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. <laughs> that was a good story. It was a great story. It was compelling. Because back together. Yeah, well, you know, and then, and then he killed her because he had lost his legs and ran in the Olympics. These are all very... <laughs> important thing for, for the record that dude was cheating i don't give a shit if you lost your legs and murdered your wife and all that stuff the important thing about that story is that man cheated in the olympics he had legs that were better than that of a man now he may have had to learn how to use them but his technology was better than human beings and that's why he won he was a cheater first and a murderer second i feel that's important poor little ting ting i'm just you know what hey <laughs> I'm just saying, AJ, if you have cybernetic legs, which is basically what they were, you will be faster than other people. Is it tragic that you don't have your legs? Sure. But you also won a gold medal, so shove it up your ass. Literally shove that have gold medal. Have you heard me- the Cat Williams bit about that? I, I, I assume it ended with him punching a woman on the street. Well, it- <laughs> no, it was about this guy who was a track athlete, and then something horrific happened where both his legs had to be cut off at the kneecap. Okay. So they actually put, you know, those metal... What, 
Cat Williams describes as bent paper clips. Yeah. You know? And he raced, and he actually raced in a, you know, a legitimate race, quote unquote. And so he was the only one disabled, right? And he won, and he was going to qualify for the Olympics. And the officials said that he had an advantage over his competitors, therefore, he could not participate. Yeah. And what's the joke? That was, Is that the joke? That was like the whole joke. It's like, this guy's done everything. He came back, recovered. He yeah, I don't ran, care. I think the officials are right. All of like, now you have a an advantage. <laughs> well, listen, listen, listen. And so he's, he's like, he goes, I'm the one with the legs, probably. <laughs> yeah, but you're also the one with the superior legs. Look, if Lieutenant Commander Data, I know his rank, were to show up uh, on the planet Earth and go, well, I don't have emotions, so I don't have the competitive drive of you people, but then he runs twice as fast as anybody else, you're still a robot. If you've lost both your legs, and here's a better example. If a guy goes to pitch in the major leagues and he lost his arm, and then they put on a metal arm that is nothing but springs, and he throws like the kid from Rookie of the Year, one of the worst movies ever made because it involves the Cubs winning, he... Would not. I mean, that's not fair. I'm sorry. It's just not fair. I understand but that you went through. people like Jim Abbott, who essentially had one arm. Yeah, but he had one arm, and he threw with the arm that was human. You can't give a guy the Winter Soldier arm and then tell him to go pitch. That's not fair to the other people. And it, it, we can argue that all we want, but I, the, and I don't want to get too lost on the Oscar Pistorius. That's his name. The the murdering. <laughs> half-legged Olympic cheater who killed his wife because, God forbid, that guy had enough problems. He didn't just decide to compound them by, you know, adding murder to his life. Um, At least it wasn't like a Chris Benoit type of situation. Listen, that... (laughs) For ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know who Chris Benoit is... Listen, if you don't know who Chris Benoit is, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not a wrestling fan and you've never heard that name... Uh, if it's near Halloween and you want to terrify yourself, look up the story of Chris Benoit and, uh, and then go kill yourself because there is no joy on this planet because that story is horrific. And, uh, yeah, no, that's sad all the way around. It really was. Yeah, no. And, you know, and, and concussions aren't a serious problem, AJ. That's what we learned from that. This is true. Yeah. And steroids aren't a problem either. Um, but getting back to all this, we, we, we talked about it last week. It happened. Uh, but here's my question to you, AJ. Do you see in your lifetime a scenario where the violence on the South Side stops? Or is it just progress? I mean, like, here's the thing. Are we working towards, when you look at these kinds of stories and you think about 20 years, 40 years in the future, hopefully we're both still alive. Do you see the South Side being fixed or do you see it more like uh, Escape from New York? I'm trying to think of a dystopian movie that would fit. It, it will it will be fixed, and only it will, the only way it will be fixed is when the South Side becomes gentrified, which sucks. And, I'm, and when I say that, don't say, "Oh, AJ, what the fuck?" It's like, no, no, no. I'm not advocating for gentrification. I'm just saying the way things are going out right now in the South Side, it is slowly becoming more gentrified as we speak. Well, they opened up a Mariano's. That's only because of uh, Chicago being down there. Yeah, and then they, oh. and, and they keep expanding that campus to keep pushing it further south. You know, and <clears throat> trying to make certain neighborhoods better, um, especially you, when I remember when I lived on 64 in Kenwood and Woodlawn, you know, at the one end of my block, they had these signs, you know, um, what, what do they call it? Um, 
building a new Better Chicago or something of that nature. Yeah, the old Daily campaign. Yeah, so I mean, they had the one in the block, and the, and they were there to improve Woodlawn, which is a big fancy word saying we're going to gentrify your neighborhood. Well, I used to work at a radio station at 65th and Pulaski, which okay. is right in the heart of the South Side, and. Uh, I was down there about a year ago, and when I worked down there about seven years ago, like there was the radio station, and then next door was a series. There was like a couple of like we we happened to be like one of those strip malls that had a couple of professional things like a lawyer and an accountant right there, like an H and R Block, and then across the street was a Harold's, a liquor store, check cashing place, liquor store, check cashing place, pawn shop, like you know what I'm saying, like the old Dave Chappelle gun store, liquor store, where the fuck you taking me? <laughs> And then I went down there about a year ago for whatever reason. I honestly don't even remember what the hell I was doing. I think I was, like, stuck in traffic or something. I was trying to take a shortcut. And I cut through that area, and it was like, okay, well, now there's a 7-Eleven, and there's a Mariano's, and there's, a Star- there's like, four Starbucks, because God forbid. And, you know, there's a, a Panera and all these nice little things, a Chipotle, and all these nice little things. And you're kind of sitting there going, like, yeah, I get it, because these are nicer businesses but at the same time, you're kind of going, it's kind of losing its its flair. But considering the fact that I know at least one person got murdered while I was working that night, a night shift at the radio station in the alley behind it because it was a crack alley, you know, maybe gentrification is the way to go. Because I'm not kidding about that, by the way. I was outside having a cigarette, and I heard two gunshots, somebody scream about a block away from me in the alley. And it was one of those alleys with the shoes on the power lines. Yeah. And, like, cars would pull down all night, like, anything from a 1984 Toyota Tercel all the way up to a brand-new top-of-the-line SLE Mercedes. would pull through the alley, get halfway down, stop, double honk, guy runs out, and then the car pulls forward, like, two houses, double honks, another guy comes out, car leaves. It's like a McDonald's drive, the new two-window drive throughs but, you know, for crack. Right. Sweet, beautiful crack, which I want right now. AJ, you got any crack? We're not supposed to be advocating for crack. I'm just, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. Every once in a while, got to smoke some crack. No, I'm, don't smoke crack. I'm, it's just a joke. It's a joke. Crack anyone, kills. Crack, crack kills. Crack is whack. Uh, all right. I, we had a little bit of fun, and we were talking some serious shit there, but I also want to... With everything that's going on, AJ, we, we, we look forward to June 7th in the big state. Now, it is conceivable and even likely that by then Hillary Clinton will have won all the delegates necessary. Maybe. Uh, no, nah, I mean, look, if you look at the number, unless Bernie Sanders does a clean sweep the rest of the way, she only needs to win, like, what, two states and she gets it, and they don't have to be the big ones. The amazing thing is, is if California were today as opposed to in a week, uh, Bernie Sanders could still win the nomination. Right. I mean, that's the that's the amazing part of this, because there are, what, 450 delegates in California? I th- Thereabouts, yeah. Yeah, so if he were to, well, theoretically, if the, the thing was today and he won California, he would overtake her in the, in the actual delegate votes, not in the extremely corrupt, shitty, superdelegate thing, which I want to talk to you about that for a minute, because it'll get us into what you, you kind of wanted to get into with uh, Gary Johnson. The delegate system as we understand it, um, when this process started, I honestly did not, I think it's because in our lifetime, primaries have been such a formality. Uh, the 08 race with Obama notwithstanding, but even that, it was, it, it, it was clear 
what would you say about halfway? Because I, I try to remember because it was eight years ago. So when that was going on and the momentum had started to swing into his favor, basically in the 2004 election when John Kerry ran, Obama gave that speech. And then in, was it 06, he gave another speech to, I think it was, it wasn't the DNC, but it was at a college. And it was another great speech. And the momentum had started to kind of go his way in 06 during midterm elections. Uh, and I think that was when he won, he won re-election for senator in 06, correct? Yes. Yes. Well, I'm trying to think if it was a re-election or an actual election as, as U.S. senator. Well, no, because he had won. He was a U.S. senator in 04. Okay, that's what I was trying to figure out. And, so, and that was after he'd been doing it for a while. And he spoke at the DNC and then gave that amazing speech. Um, and now, my, my, my point is that even by 08 standards, by the time they were getting, it was almost the same thing, by the time they were getting to California, uh, Obama had basically wrapped up the whole thing, and it's, it's very similar to what's happening now with Hillary. The only difference is people were excited to vote for Obama, people are not excited to vote for Hillary, and I look now at this Bernie Sanders thing more and more, and I just go... Yeah, no, there's an argument to be made as to why he would be a better candidate against Donald Trump than Hillary Clinton, and it has to do with the excitement level for voting, because every Demo person who I know who is a Democrat at heart um, has said, I voted for Bernie Sanders. I will vote for Hillary Clinton because there's under no way could I ever vote for Donald Trump, but I'm not happy to be voting for Hillary Clinton. And I think because the primary system... We, I never, we never really gave a lot of thought as to how delegates were chosen. I know that you did um, because of how you've kind of lived, and I'll give you the compliment here, as, as the outsider that you are, you, you've lived in that delegate world. But for most of us, myself included, never thought of the primary process as being very important, as, as stupid as that may sound. And now I look at it and I go, no, this super delegate thing needs to go away. It needs to go away. Because it isn't fair that, as Bernie Sanders pointed out on Real Time with Bill Maher, there were 50 delegates, super delegates, who already supported Hillary Clinton before a single vote was ever cast. That's crazy. But that's the system that we're living in. And I look at California, and Bernie Sanders may win California, which is the most important state in the general election, especially for Democrats, because they can't win without it. And you're, you're going to alienate a lot of Bernie supporters the way that they're doing this. And I don't know, AJ, the, the further this thing goes on, I don't know if all of those people are going to switch over to Hillary. I think a lot of people just aren't going to vote this fall. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and, and here's the thing about the superdelegate thing. Um, this has been such an important issue that that some people forget why the superdelegate process is even in place. You know, we're going back to the 68 Democratic National Convention in Chicago where it was like um, Hubert Humphrey was was nominated for the presidency and everything. And then if, there's also that moment of, you know, George McGovern from South Dakota, um, the liberal George McGovern. And... People wanted those two because they were like the quote-unquote grassroots activists, politicians and everything. And so when people within the Democratic Party saw all these activists, you know, coming into the fold, then you had 
Jim Hunt of North Carolina, the governor, George Jim Hunt, um, kind of redefined the process and trying to come up with this commission and recommended to have um, a, a slot for delegates who are elected officials so they have a voice while the people have a voice who are delegates to the national convention. It's just that when you do that, then you start seeing this small population of superdelegates who have a little bit much of a weighted vote over the actual delegates because these are the people who are part of the process. They are part of the government. They're part of the state. Whereas delegates, sure, there's maybe a handful of them who are part of the process, but it's pretty much almost everyday people who get voted in as delegates, who get to go to the convention and vote what the people would like to see. And then when you have the super delegates saying, that's nice, but this is what we feel is the more appropriate person to vote for. Which, as, as the, you have, since I've known you, uh, to your credit, um, always kind of looked at this system and said, I vote for socialists, I vote for libertarians, I vote for the outsider candidate, I vote for third-party candidates because, I've, as you've said to me, um, it's important to get those numbers up, and they tend to stand more for your ideals than the Democrats do. Is part of the reason that you've done that in your life because you look at the Democratic Party as such an establishment group? Well, yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know this. I mean, I... I started with the Democratic Party as an intern. Okay. Um, more, and I'm laughing because I want to hear your reaction of this. Uh, it was during the Lagojevich campaign, his first go around. You 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 worked for Lagojevich? <laughs> well, I worked for a county Democratic organization, and when they found out certain talents that I have, then I was charged to style Lagojevich's hair. Yes, to get four counties to go from red to blue. Okay. And so that was the conversation where I told one of his See, senior is, campaign right. people. This is how to, I know I'm a, a comedy person first and a polit- political guy second. Yeah. Because my response to that scenario would have walked up, been to walk up to the map and just gone, hold on, and grabbed a blue Sharpie and gone, it's blue Done. now. Is that, is that what you wanted? That's what I wanted. <laughs> It's blue. It's like, okay, well, next. Yeah, no problem. What else you got? Um, you know, <laughs> where I told him, it's like, uh, he can speak Spanish. He needs to talk Spanish in this one county. That makes up 40% of the population. And because of that and some other things, you know, we actually gained more Democrat votes that election year and everything. Um so I started within the Democratic Party as an intern, and when I wanted to run for office as a state representative candidate as a Democrat, uh, they told me I was uh, too young. Um, they were okay with the fact that a 12-year Republican incumbent um, is going to win, and they don't want to challenge that, and that... They put, they'd rather put all their efforts into the Obama campaign than this one local race. And I said, okay, I'm done. And then, you know, went 
to more third so, party. So to be clear, to be clear, you weren't asking them. You weren't really asking them for any financial support. You were simply stating your intentions, and they told you no. Well, it, it was my intentions as well as a plan on what success looks like in this campaign, which was a certain financial contribution as well as bringing people on to a campaign team and, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, one, what one needs to do when running a campaign. So I had a campaign plan in, in place, but... Okay. They said, that's good. We like what you're, what you're saying, um, but no thank you. Let me ask you a question. And that's, that's just one. It was two county Democratic offices that I even worked in. Let me, let me ask you a question unrelated to the election now, but I've, I've always been curious about this. In a situation like what you're talking about, if it's a presidential election year, why can't the two campaigns work in tandem and essentially, in essentially a situation like Obama, for instance, where even during his reelection, when in the South it was divided, but up here he's never been more popular. Why doesn't a candidate almost identify with "I am simply running on the same platform as this candidate" and almost piggyback on their on their success? You know, people call it, in wrestling they call it a rub, in politics you know they call it stumping for somebody. But I, I just never understood, like in that scenario, that to me that it seems incredibly short sighted. Uh, from what you're telling me to say, well, no, we're, we're fine with this Republican incumbent in an office that really does have some effect. And we're not going to allow you to run against him because we want to devote all of our resources to this. Well, wouldn't your resources be better spent if you were to focus on this area? It just I, I guess my question to you is, as somebody who's done this before, why isn't that always more the case? Why doesn't somebody really just kind of piggyback off of the, the momentum of a presidential candidate, especially an incredibly popular one or one who's swing, swinging for the fences. Uh, you know, I, I just, is there a reason for that? Is there, is there some sort of unspoken rule that I'm unaware of? Or No, so that particular time, we have to remember that we were coming off a Bush administration and the Democratic Party really wanted to have a Democratic in the White House. And obviously we had Hillary at the time and Obama. Um, Evan Bayh ran and he dropped out. Um, John Edwards ran and he dropped out for their respective reasons. And so they really wanted someone that was different. And there was a lot of progressives in the Democratic Party at the time who wanted Obama in because they felt Obama was that progressive candidate and not Hillary. And he was black. Let's just call it what it is. Um, so they wanted, they want to get behind this person because of those factors. <clears throat> so the people I've talked with in the rank and file of the Democratic Party at the time, um, they felt best efforts or best spent to get Obama elected, even though he had that all shored up. I mean, he had Cook County. He had certain downstate counties um, in the bag. I felt like, well, he's going to win. Why don't we take this 12-year incumbent out who hasn't done anything except for write legislation that you need to kill pit bulls, German shepherds, and the alike when they bite children? Um, and, you know, how do we define life in the state of Illinois? So outside of those two things, um, we had a state representative at the time who just didn't do anything. And because of that, um, there have been a 20 to 30 percent population um, decline while that person was in office and everything. And I was the person who wanted to come in 
with fresh ideas, um, working with people and everything. But you know, let's you know put that aside and get this one person who is uh, essentially a one-term U.S. senator, a one-term state senator, and make him president. Well, I, I see. Not one. that I have a, a grudge against Obama or anything. <laughs> well, no. I, look, is I think. I think history will judge him as one of the actually few uh, great presidents uh, in the long term. I, I don't think in the immediate future that will happen. I think, but I do think that that will eventually. Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's been no scandal that we know of yet under his administration. You know, yeah. Um, no real other personal issues that we know of. Yeah, the biggest scandal is that Republicans hate him. I that's mean, the thing. I mean. I mean, he's been the only president in, what, 30 years that yeah. has never really had any scandal of any sort whatsoever. Sure, you can – Benghazi might be one, a few other things maybe. Well, other. Benghazi and, – and I want to talk to you about the Benghazi thing because Benghazi in many ways has always felt to me like, yeah, some bad things happened. But it, everything you've ever read or seen seems to point to – there were no good options, so they tried to pick the least worst option. Does that make sense? What I'm saying, right? And and and, and then they kind of to bring it back. And I want I don't want to talk about it as much, but it's kind of the same similar situation as the gorilla in Cincinnati. You know, in that same sense that they they chose the lesser of two evils, as it were, when it came to options, right. There's no, there's no right decision, so we try to make the least wrong one. Correct. And then to be villainized for it, like that, that's always been my favorite thing about the, the demonization of liberals from the right as opposed to what the, how liberals demonize the, demonize the right, which is you know, when a liberal does something or, or a Democrat does something that the Republicans don't like, well, it's, they did it with malice aforethought. She deliberately went out of her way to get U.S. people killed. And you're like, are you batshit insane like no one thinks that that's what happened no reasonable person and the people that you're going after to vote for this you shouldn't want voting for you but they don't give a damn and then on the uh, and then you got the democrats on the side who are too weak to just look at somebody and go you're a racist like like at no point like, there's going to be debates starting in about what three months between uh hillary and trump basically around august is when they'll start right Mm-hmm. The real debates. And at no point is she ever going to look at him and just go, you're a racist asshole and you need to stop talking. Like, And that literally would win her the election. What's the line in the West Wing? Do you think that if the president killed the sultan, he'd lose votes? All he'd have to do is blow the sultan's brains out in Times Square and walk across the street to Nathan's and buy a hot dog right. and he'd win in a landslide? Like, I remember the John Kerry election. All I kept saying to all my friends is, I don't think he's going to win. And they would say, why? And I would say, because he doesn't have the balls to do the one thing that you need to do to beat George Bush, which is literally point a finger at him and start laughing. Every time he opens his mouth, just point a finger at him and go, this is what you want? This basically drooling man-child whose daddy put him in this position? He's clearly unqualified for this job and can't put two sentences together? Like, look at him right now. He's trying to think of what to say to respond to what I'm saying, and he can't think of anything, ladies and gentlemen. What do you have to say to that, George? And then you turn to him, and he would go, I uh, 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 fool me once, uh, shame, thing, fool twice. You ain't going to fool me again. And then come back to Carrie to just go, See? would have won in the landslide. And I don't think Hillary, I think Hillary feels like if she's too aggressive, which is ma- her main, you know what? 
it's funny I brought up the West Wing. That's what I think of when I think of Hillary Clinton. They they, they joke about on the West Wing that there are. Uh, I'm going to get deep cuts with you, AJ. Is you ready for West Wing deep cuts? Yeah. All right. Toby's in the Oval Office talking to the president. He says to him, you know, Mr. President, I want you to know that there's you, the re- level of respect doesn't change when you leave the room. Yes. But there is some discussion amongst us about the two Bartlett's. One is the Nobel laureate. Uh, master professor of economics who is lethal in his thinking and cunning and, and smart. The other being the, the nutty professor who's all, all shucks sense of charm, tries to, you know, who doesn't, who's always making up for the fact that his dad didn't love him very much. And it's, that's what I think of when I think of Hillary, the two Hillary's. There is a Hillary that is lethal and that literally could be, if she embraced that, honestly, could be the best president in the history of the United States. But because she's constantly having to play this popularity game, I, I feel like it actually diminishes her uh, qualifications on, at least publicly. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? I do, and that's why this election year is so interesting in so many ways, because you're right, there's essentially two Hillary's. There is the Warhawk Hillary behind the scenes, who is very strategic in thinking, who can make decisions and will get certain things done. And then there's the other Hillary who is out there, um, have to pander, have to politic, have to put a certain face on when she's out in the public and everything. You have Trump who, let's just say for the sake of argument, there's two Trumps. There's a Trump that we see in the media who just spouts out this rhetoric that we all hate and then behind the scenes it's really this democrat well let's hope that he's a really kind-hearted person who does care about people who does care about certain things um as a businessman and as a family man etc etc and then you have bernie or yeah bernie i was gonna say bernie trump bernie sanders <laughs> don't ever say it <laughs> that people love him and are magnetic to him because as long as I've seen Bernie in Congress um, has always been this somewhat stripped down person. This is what you get. You get this um, independent thinking will not quite shoot from the hip, but will express what he needs to think out. He will call certain things out um, and there's really no two Bernie Sanders. What you see on TV is the same. Yeah, if you met him, if you met him person. at a bar, if you met him at a bar one night, you'd have the same conversation with him if you met him on the floor of the Senate. Right. And, Whereas know, Hillary, you know, if she's in the bar and I'm having a whiskey, she's gonna have a whiskey with me. If she goes to the other end of the bar, someone is having vodka, she's gonna drink vodka. Yeah. I wonder how much of that is, and, and, and I think we should maybe do a show on this uh, closer to the election, but I wonder how much of that is sexism, because... Well, I think it's very much so sexism. Yeah, so do I. I. I feel like if she wasn't a woman, that she would almost be freer to be more cutthroat. But because she's a woman, there has to be this image of, you know, that she's a kid. Like, the, the whole thing about, remember when they were talking about her grandkids? Mm-hmm. And, they, and then, like, there was this whole thing about how it's important that, you know, people see that she has... You know, grandkids, and then it only, and I always went, "Why? I don't give a shit if if she does or not. Like, she could be a horrible grandmother. Who cares? It, it has nothing to do with what her she'll be like as president." And 
it, in, in the midst of all of this chaos and all of this political theater, which is really all it is, um, your guy, I don't know if I want to call, do you want me to call him your guy? I'll, I'll, for all intents and purposes for the show, yes. Okay. So I thought about this while we've been talking. We're talking about Sanders, not Trump, right? No, no, no. We are talking about your guy, Gary Johnson. Oh, okay. Um, and what I decided to do in the last 30 seconds while I've been thinking, because I'm nothing if not a multitasker, is I want you, AJ, to embrace... I want you to... All right, AJ, here's the deal. I'm going to set you up. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Here, first of all, is your soapbox. After that, this is your microphone. And it is sta- you are standing in a WWE ring. You are surrounded by loyal... Democrats and Republicans, none of whom would ever vote for Gary Johnson. And I want you to explain to the people, one, who is he? Two, why should we care? Three, why you should vote for him? And then four, I want you to, you know, go interview Jake the Snake Roberts. Go! So, (laughs) Gary Johnson. If you don't know who Gary Johnson is, you should know of him. Uh, former governor of New Mexico from the mid-90s to early 2000s, and he campaigned in the 2012 election as Republican. And then when he didn't get any nomination, he went towards the Libertarian Party in the 2012 election. He's now been voted in at the last, at this most recent Libertarian, Libertarian convention for the 2016 general election and everything. Um, he's everything that every libertarian is. You know, he believes in limited government. He has a classical liberal view on economic philosophy. Um, he's a fiscal conservative. He's pro-civil liberties. He's non-interventionist when it comes to um, the military as well as foreign wars. Uh, he's pro-marijuana. He's for cleaner energies. Um, and he wants to, but he also wants to do away with the Department of Education. He really wants to do an audit, if not a dismantle, of the Fed Reserve, um, but an audit at the very least and everything. So Gary, and then in looking at Illinois alone, Gary Johnson carried every single county in Illinois with one percent. He got, I believe, 5% in Cook County in the 2012 election. So up and down the state, from Galena to Cairo, he got over, either at or over 1% of the vote in the general election. And that is a huge indicator, in Illinois at least, on how people really think about government, how they really think about the economy, and how they think about their planet is this libertarian viewpoint. People should care about this because this is a trend that we're seeing. And now Gary Johnson's getting a lot of um, traction with the media, albeit because of the crazy uh, libertarian chair, what he did by stripping down naked and everything. But aside from that, um, he's actually getting being on poll questions with Quinnipiac and everything. Um, this is the second day in a row that I've heard Gary Johnson actually being talked about and how he could play a huge role against Trump when it comes to the election and everything. Um, and they're even talking about you know possibly having him on the presidential debates, but because of the stupid commission 
section of presidential debates that are appointed Republicans and Democrats on this commission that third-party candidates have to get 15% of the polls. And it doesn't really say which polls, what's the the polls that they look at in order to get that 15%, but 15% of the national polls to even be considered at the same stage with a Republican and Democratic candidate and everything. And Jill Stein is running as a Green Party candidate. Mimi Solstick is running as a Socialist Party USA candidate. Um, <clears throat> there's Gloria running as um, Party of um, Socialism and Liberation Party. And there's multiple of other third parties and everything. Because people should really care about who these third party independent candidates are. Because these are the people that speak to your values. Republicans and Democrats don't speak to your values. Republicans and Democrats are nothing more than big tent political organizations that will accept everybody and anybody, and this is what we get, a freak accident called Trump. So on the Republican side, um, and if you haven't friended me on Facebook, do, I just written a decent, I feel like a decent post about why Trump is a freak accident. Um, I am not here to advocate to vote for Gary Johnson. I'm more advocating that you should look at someone like Gary Johnson, where his views are, and if this is someone that you truly feel that speaks to your values, that you are more of that personal freedom, um, really believe in limited, limited government, um, this is your guy. It's not Trump. Gary Johnson's your guy. If it's someone else, like when Jill Stein gets to be on the ballot, in the United States, then that is your candidate. If Mimi Solstick is your person, then vote for that person. Your vote is really your vote. Your vote does not mean that you vote for Johnson, ergo Hillary is going to be the president. If you vote for Jill Stein, then that means Trump will be president. There is no such thing as a spoiler candidate. A vote is a vote. What we have in the United States, and I've said this on many occasions on this show, on my show, and elsewhere, that what we have in the United States is more of a popularity contest. So the more people you, the, the more you vote for that one person, the more they're going to gain traction. Sure, they're going to, quote unquote, spoil someone else, but that doesn't mean you're really offsetting anything. You know, if you vote for, let's say, Gary Johnson, um, if 40% of you think that, then 40% of you think like that, you know, and no one can take that vote away. So anytime you hear that you need to vote for this person because if you vote for a third-party candidate, you're really getting this person elected, don't think like that and don't buy into that because it's not the case whatsoever. I want, to, I want to ask you about that also, because since I've known you, uh, you've, uh, you have always been pushing for third-party candidates, uh, rightfully so, I think. And there is a discussion that takes place um, on television, in the media, on the Internet, all the time about forming a third party that speaks to the values of the normal people that isn't subjected to special interests. And you've always told me that those already exist. It's just that they don't get the traction that they need um, for any number of reasons. But the most notable reason is you, you, you can't really run as a third-party candidate 
because the media doesn't cover you because the people who own those media companies, it behooves them to not allow those third-party candidates to come in because one of the first things that they would probably do is start to go after some of these antitrust exemptions that exist in the media that allow for one person to own all the newspapers in a city, which up until... The early 90s was not the case. There were laws that prevented that sort of thing because it, you know, you had to protect a free press for the necessary protection of democracy. And it behooves them to keep these people down. And if you had asked me a year ago um, who you should vote for and what you should do, I would have said don't vote for a third party candidate because whatever. And I'm looking at this system now, and the, and the primary is a big part of it. The hell with it, man. Vote. Who you want to vote for. Vote for the person that shares your ideals. Vote for the person that shares in what you believe America should be. Um, and for the record, if you think that Donald Trump is doing that, then please do me a favor and walk to a bridge, look over the bridge, and look at the water, and then jump into that water. And we will all be happy, and you can go live in your Trump paradise in the afterlife, where I'm assuming that there's 72... Russian model, not virgins who love cocaine. I thought that was funny. Um, I just, I, up until a while ago, man, I was that person. I would, I would honestly tell people, you know, don't vote for a third party candidate because it could, it could spoil the election. And I'm looking at it now and going, no, that will blow this whole thing up. Let, let's, let's do it. Like, everyone should vote for a third party candidate at this point because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm sick and tired of having my. My country that I live in, that I am as much of an owner as as the richest person in this country. That's the other thing, AJ. Your vote matters more than any other reason because a vote is what equalizes us all. Uh, the Koch brothers' vote is theoretically just as important as a homeless guy on the street. Mm -hmm. And and the fact that we we lose sight of that with all of this money and all of the power and all of the Game of Thrones, House of Cards bullshit that we see all the time that realistically the, the 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 person who works 40 hours a week maybe has a second job and has no free time to go out and you know you and i had that one of my favorite arguments i ever had with you um and i do say that because i like to argue with people i'm greek but my favorite argument i ever had with you other than the two girls and the the Slender Man was the argument that you and I had about activism and why I tried to explain to you and you got mad rightfully so about the idea that people don't come out and march for issues that matter to them or that they care about and I tried very hard to explain that because the system is the way it is people can't afford to get off of work to come out and protest and you and I really went at it and that kind of shit matters and, and it's getting to the point where it's almost like what what the fuck are you even working for anymore? If you if you work forty hours a week, AJ, and and you and you do your overtime and you and you make all this stuff and you're making just enough that you can save up for a vacation for your kids and your wife. Let's assume you're the typical Rockwell family, and you've got you know at this point in the world that means both parents are working, so you're bringing home eighty five to ninety thousand a year between the two people who are working. Because typically speaking, whether or not we ever want to admit it, women tend to work less than men in society as a whole, which is not to say that there aren't breadwinners who are women all over the world, but in, in typical American ideal Norman Rockwell shit, that's the way we think of it. So you're bringing home eighty, ninety thousand dollars a year. You're making just enough to pay your mortgage, assuming that you own a house. You know, you've got your utilities, you've got internet, you've got the cell phone bill that you need to pay for now. And all that shit 
and you're making just enough to get by, and then it's like, well, go out and protest. It's just like, motherfucker, I worked all week, and I can't get out there to do this shit, and no one in politics is really speaking to me and my needs, which is I need it to be a little bit easier. I don't want it free. I'm not, and, and I get so frustrated with um, the memes that go around that are anti-Sanders that are, you know, oh, oh well, it's going to be free and we, no one has to work for anything. And it's like, son of a bitch, you're not even, like, investigating what the hell the man is saying. And I think my whole point of all of this with the third-party candidate with everything is, fuck it, man, blow it up. Like, at some point, what else are we supposed to do? Because... This, this system doesn't work for regular people. It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for the poor kids on the south side of Chicago who are getting shot at record numbers every weekend and will be for the remainder of the summer. It doesn't work for the cops who patrol that neighborhood who aren't paid enough. It doesn't work for the teachers who aren't paid enough. It doesn't work. And you can keep going down this list, AJ, of it doesn't work for this person or this person. Well, then who the fuck does it work for? I can tell you who it works for. It works for the really rich, as George Carlin called them, the true owners of this country. And at some point, it's either blow that up and basically take money out of politics and then you can get your parties back or it start another party or embrace a third party that doesn't give in, as Schwarzenegger would call them, to the special interests. It's, it's I don't know. I'm, I'm just, um, I'm at that point in the show, AJ, where my head is buzzing because I have a lot of anger. And I don't know if I should just let it all out because then I will just go on a profanity-laden rant that will last for 35 minutes and won't make any sense. But so I'll be Trump. But it it it's just ah is I guess is the summation of my thoughts. AJ is just ah. But but here's the other thing that people should think about this election year, the 2016 election. AJ about to drop some truth bombs. <clears throat> is that you should really look at what happened in the 1912 presidential election. You had Woodrow Wilson. Hold up, hold up, hold up. I just want us all to take a second who are listening to the show, and let's reflect on the fact that AJ has decided to transport us back to 1912. For the record, cocaine, marijuana, heroin, all legally bought from a pharmacy. Continue. Do we need to have an intervention? What, because I've brought up drugs? We're, we're talking about crack for like the third or fourth time at this point. I didn't bring up crack. Kind of, kind you brought concerned. up crack this time. Now, you're the one who I'm concerned about. I didn't say crack. I said cocaine, heroin, and marijuana. They didn't have crack yet. Crack was invented in the 70s. My one dude, who, as Dennis Leary said, there's the one guy who cocaine just wasn't good enough for. One dude who said, eh, that cocaine's pretty good, but I want something that makes my heart explode as soon as I smoke it. Continue. 1912. We are in 1912. Um... So you don't see any black people, and Woodrow Wilson is running for president. AJ. So you had Woodrow Wilson run as a Democrat. You had Teddy Roosevelt running as a progressive party, quote-unquote, bull moose party campaign. And then you had Howard Taft, who was Teddy Roosevelt's ham-picked successor um, as a Republican. And then you had Eugene Debs running as Socialist Party candidate, our Socialist Party candidate. Um, and you look at that campaign, you had four people running, and Teddy Roosevelt got like little over four million votes over Taft's three million votes. Um, Eugene Debs got nine hundred thousand votes while he was in jail. By the way, 
um, in Chicago. <clears throat> so you have Theodore Roosevelt, who was essentially a third-party candidate, and yeah, he edged out um, Taft, and yeah, that led to Wilson's success. So when someone looks at that and like, well, yeah, AJ, you're just pointing to the mere fact that a third-party candidate spoils the bunch. No, there were people who actually cared about where the society needs to be at the time, and progressivism was growing at the time in the early 1900s. So people voted for the person they wanted, and that person was Theodore Roosevelt, even though Wilson got in as president with 6.2 million votes. Um, so that also, well, that also speaks to the 900,000 votes that Eugene Debs got, who was also on that progressive platform as well. So if you combine Roosevelt and Debs' votes together, you know, it doesn't, you know, herald over Wilson, but at least gets more closer to Wilson to having a closer win of the 1912 election. I'm saying all this because if you look at that election, um, let's say today in 2016 you have Hillary, you have Trump, um, let's say you have Gary Johnson, Mimi Solstick, and Jill Stein. You have five people running for office on ballots. That's what's going to look like in a 2016 is that we're going to see a lot of the rise of third-party candidates, and I think we're going to see the populace who wants to have third-party candidates at on the mainstream media more. Um, a lot of third-party candidates are actually getting traction. Um, currently, Mimi Solstick was on CNNBC. They asked him to come on and talk about why socialism um, needs to be the um, economic um, transition we need to go towards. Um, Jill Stein's been getting a lot of media lately. Gary Johnson's been on MSNBC, at least name only, the last two days in a row. So we're starting to see this traction of third-party candidates actually getting noticed finally in the mainstream media, and we need to keep pushing for that because if we just allow the liberal and the conservative media outlets just to have Republican and Democratic candidates only, then what does that really say about our society? Is it, is it still the choice of Pepsi and Coke? Is it really paper and plastic? And if so, I don't want that society. I want to have you know a plethora of ideologies out there because that's who we are. You can go from 57th and Kenwood to downtown Ladd, Illinois, and there's going to be a wide variety of ideologies and people like myself who believe in more than one philosophy, politically speaking, you know. So, and that's who we are. We are we're not just a singular people. We don't think singularly whatsoever. And those who say, well, I've been voting Democrat, that's because their families have been voting Democrat for X amount of years. And they don't want to break that pattern or be look like the red herring in the family and everything. So it's okay to vote with your conscience and not go with the status quo. Well, because and I would also argue that uh, one of my biggest pet peeves about human society in general um, has always been the argument: it is the way it is, and that's the way it is. 
pisses me off because that's a stupid reason for people to do things. It's why I always got in trouble in high school, to be honest with you, because whenever somebody said, because of those are the rules. Okay, well, why are those the rules? Why are there only two parties? Because there are only two parties. Well, that's a really stupid freaking answer. Can we get beyond that, please? Well, you know why third parties are not in presidential debates, right? No, actually, I don't. Well, I mean, I have ideas, but I'm assuming you have an actual answer. It's because of Ross Perot. I love that, man. Ross Perot was the only third-party candidate to be at the presidential debate with Clinton and Bush. And uh, and, uh, I think the only third-party candidate to ever appear in a televised presidential debate. Yeah. And so when that happened, they created this commission uh, for presidential debates, which is appointed, I believe, by the president and a few other people to be on this commission that's made up of Republicans and Democrats only. So this commission dictates the actual criteria of um, who gets to be in debate and why. But that only applies that only applies to the national election, right, to the general election. They have no say over primary debates, right? No, this is just for the general election. And only the DNC and the RNC decide who's going to be rules regarding primaries. Which the DNC has set itself up to basically back Hillary this entire time because Bernie Sanders is technically an independent, not a member of the party faithful. And everything about it, man, just... I, I really wonder in 10 years, 20 years, is the only option revolution? Because the way... The status quo as we see it right now cannot sustain itself. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's not just politically. It's financially, uh, environmentally, militarily, all of these things that if you have, what do they call Tony Stark on the event? Uh, He's a futurist. If you're a futurist, which to me always just meant somebody who looks forward to the future of of all of us. And I think you and I have done this before. Play every scenario that's facing the world right now out to its logical conclusion if things continue to play out the way that they are. The scientists have keep accelerating that day that we lose the ice caps. It used to be when I was a kid, it was 100 years in the future. Now it's down to about, what, 20 years, they're saying? Mm-hmm. You know? And, and you're looking at it and you go, if we don't stop this, we're going to lose New York. We're going to lose London. We're going to lose Miami. We're going to lose most of Florida, which, with the exception of Miami, would, I don't know, not be that big of a loss it's getting to the point though where you go okay environmentally we'll be fucked economically if the money keeps funneling to the top there isn't going to be anything left for anybody else and then you're talking about like people fighting in the streets for food and water and going back to environmentally we are running out of water no one is fucking talking about it because it's such a scary goddamn idea that no one wants to acknowledge the fact that realistically in the new economy you want to be rich you really want to be rich? You know what you do? You find a storage locker right now and you fill it up with clean water. Right. I mean, and, that's literally uh, and, what you do. And, and let me back up for one moment because I think I misrepresented the commission. Oh, my. Um, uh, they, they sound very upset. They've been texting. I know, right? The, 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 the commission itself was formed during the Kennedy-Nixon debates. I mean, they're the ones who actually formed those debates and everything. And thereafter, that's when they started having debates and everything. Um, It's only the 15% polling threshold is when they enacted since Perot. 
Okay, so let me get this straight. So before then, it was whatever, but after Perot, it has you have to get fifteen percent of of what? Yeah, the the commission was formed to ensure that the voting public had an opportunity to see the leading candidates debate during the general election campaign. Okay, um, so that's what their only basis was as a commission was to have an opportunity for candidates to debate during the general election and everything. Now. The 15%, as they claim, um, the commission first adopted the 15% level to support the criteria in 2000. In the initial adoption and its adoption in subsequent cycles was preceded by the careful study and reflects the number of considerations in the judgment that the 15% thresholds best balance the goals of being sufficiently inclusive to invite those candidates considered to be among the leading candidates. So 15% threshold is very inclusive for everybody. But I didn't tell you who was on the commission, though. Oh, this will be fun. There's Howard Buffett, who is the chairman CEO of Howard Buffett Foundation. There's John Danforth, former U.S. Senator. There's Mitch Daniels, who's the president of Purdue University, um, who is also the governor of Indiana. Uh, you have Charles Gibson, former a- anchor of ABC World News. Um, John Griffin, the managing director of Allen & Company. You had Jane Hartman, director, president, and CEO of the Woodrow Wilson Inter- International Center for Scholars. You have Antonia Hernandez, who's the president and CEO of California Community Foundation. You have Reverend Jenkins, who is the president of the University of Notre Dame. You have Jim Lear, former executive editor and anchor for PBS NewsHour. You have Newton Minow. Best NewsHour in America. Huh? Best news show in America. Right. Newton Minow, senior counsel of Sydney Austin LLP. Richard Parsons, senior advisor of Providence Equity Partners LLC. You have Dorothy Ridens, former president of the League Women of Voters and former president and CEO of the Council on Foundations. Olympia I'm Snow. Sorry, I'm former- sorry, I'm sorry. Back up. Back up. Stop. Time out. She is the president of the Council of Foundations. President and CEO of Council on Foundations. That is a great no name for an organization. <laughs> Like, if you were going to go, I'm going to name something, and it's going to have no meaning but sound important. We are the Council on Foundations. What does that mean? We counsel foundations. Well, what foundations do you counsel? All of them. (laughs) We are the Council on Foundations. I mean, if that does not sound like a front group for anybody. I mean, look, I'm just saying, like, it's one of those things where they're like, yes, please give us money. We're the Awareness Foundation. What do you call it? We're making people aware of our foundation. What? Our name says everything. Like, the council on <laughs> the name says everything. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about the foundation of the house, or we're yeah. talking about like foundation. What if that? W- no. What if that it? was what it was? What if it was literally about house foundations? Like, like what? If, what if it was part of like that galaxy ceiling people who come in and like fix your foundation of your house? Like, what if that's really what it is? Because that would actually make a lot more sense to me. That it was just like we're the council of foundations, as in charitable. No, 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 no. We're about foundations at your house. Like we're the council that comes in to make sure that your foundations are sound. 
Well, do you really want to know who the Council of Foundations is? No, it's more fun if we don't know. I, I, I think you should. Oh, AJ's having fun on the Google, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. It was formed in 1949. Of course it was. It's a nonprofit association of grant-making foundations and corporations. Members of the council include more than 1,750 independent operating community public and company-sponsored foundations and corporate giving programs in the United States. The mission is to provide the opportunity, leadership, and tools needed by philanthropic organizations to expand, enhance, and sustain their abilities to advance the common good. Okay, they need a better name. <laughs> like Matchmaker or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's just what they do, right? They match people up with the foundation that can help them, based on what you're telling me. This is what I'm reading. Okay, so based on that... But the Council of Foundations sounds like a really bad Marvel comic from the 70s. It sounds like a great villain organization. Meanwhile, at the Council of Foundations... That's what I'm saying, right? I mean, yeah, it works. There are worse names. There's the fact that, you know, on uh, two TV shows this year, both were using the name Hive for their villain, on Arrow and on Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Both, both shows had villains named Hive. Yes. But where they were completely different characters. But they aired on the same night, so it was very confusing. Um, before we get out of here, AJ, we got, you know, we, we kind of run over our normal time, which I always enjoy doing with you. I want to ask you this. Gary Johnson is polling now in some places at 10%. He's being mentioned on MSNBC. He's being... Do you see a scenario where that man could actually be serious contender for president of the United States in this election? I think he's one of a few that could be serious contenders in the 2016 election. Um, well, and I, and what, I, what, what, I only what, think that because, because there is this no-Trump movement, as it were, um, people are going to push more third-party candidates and give them more airtime so that people don't have to vote for Trump. I think that's the only – this is the only – excuse me, moment in history, in political history, that third-party candidates are actually going to be viewed under the microscope and seeing, okay, we don't want Trump. Who do we have? Oh, yeah, we have Gary Johnson for the Libertarian Party. Who else? Yes, yes. It's Jill Stein for the Greens. And, oh, yes, it's Mimi with the Socialist Party. And who else can we get? Because they, we don't want Trump. I think every single one of us, from Republican to anarchist, don't want Trump. Yeah, and the people who support Trump come to, I think they said in the general election, it's something like, realistically, Trump supporters make up 15% of the general electorate, and that includes, you know, of, of all people. But realistically, the people who are going to vote for Trump are going to be enthusiastic. And again, I just, I'm afraid of voter apathy. A lot of people who I've talked to have just said that they're not voting because they don't like Hillary, they don't like Trump, and they don't know enough about any third-party candidates to be motivated. And it's scary, man, because I, we, we've been joking about it, and I've just kind of convinced myself that the only way I can get up every day is that Trump will not be president. I keep convincing myself of that, because if that man became president, I don't think it's a joke that people are going to leave this country. I don't want to... 
I don't think it's funny anymore. I honestly didn't think it was funny when he was running initially, but at least you were just kind of convincing yourself that it could never happen. And the closer we get to this, and now they're saying that he's pulling either dead even, slightly ahead, or slightly underneath Hillary. That's fucking terrifying, AJ. Well, I, and I think, and I, and I think I want to tease us as an upcoming episode. I would really, really want to examine the notion of what a Trump regime looks like and especially for those of us who may want to stay here and just fight for the they're not even being called injustices I don't know what the hell you're going to call them um, but for the lack of terms right now which is called injustices that he's going to clamp down on everybody then again, it's entirely possible that he'll get into office and then hate it and leave. Like, you every, think he'll do that? I don't know what that man will do. That's why it's so terrifying. As much as I that opens a that's a, that opens a whole opens a whole legal door of things. You know, well, that, my, there'd be like, eh, I'm done. Then what? <laughs> you know, like I, I I honestly look at this and I and, and I said it before when it was Cruz. I hated Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz is a bigot and someone who does not understand the religion that he chooses to espouse uh, and he chooses to espouse himself to. He 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 constantly is put, positioning himself as the Christian candidate, or he was. And I and I look at him and I go, you don't understand Christianity, at least as it was taught to me, um, and all of these horrible things. But at least if. Cuba or to go to the Cuban Missile Crisis or a Soviet Union or having to deal with Putin. I kind of have an idea of what he'll do. If it had been Rubio, I just assume he would cower in the corner until somebody serious came in and helped him. With Bernie Sanders, he would just slam his hand on the table until somebody does exactly what he says and he'll get louder. But... Hillary is going to be cutthroat, and she's going to literally walk into the Situation Room and have, honestly, I believe, generally speaking, the right decision to be made on foreign policy. Domestic policy? Eh, she doesn't really give it. She doesn't really strike me as someone who thinks a lot about it. But foreign policy? I never worried about Hillary Clinton. Donald Trump, I don't know what he's going to do. What's the whole line that Colbert had about Bush? The, the, this is a man who wakes up on Monday, who, who wakes up on Wednesday believing what he said on Monday, no matter what happened on Tuesday. And that's Donald Trump is worse than that. This is a man who woke up Wednesday saying things completely different than he said on Tuesday, which are completely different than what he said on Wednesday, but somehow agree back to something he said three years ago. I have no idea what that man will be doing at any given point in power. And that's the terrifying thing about Donald Trump. And people go, well, he's an outsider. That's a good thing. Not always. Not always. Just because you haven't been a politician does not mean that you are qualified to be president. I, I sometimes wonder, AJ, if we just if we've diminished the presidency in some ways by the way we refer to it with familiarity. You know, we call him the president or leader of this, but I really want say the full fucking name. This is the president of the United States of America, the most important job in the world, right? Sure. You can't give that to Donald Trump. You just can't. 
based on everything you know about him, based on how he deals with people in business, based on how he presents himself on television, based on the things he says in speeches, the way that he tweets. He's a fucking presidential candidate who goes off on rants on Twitter. This is a man who, to show that he that he has the support of Latin Americans, ate a burrito bowl in his office at his building that he supposedly owns, which I'm not even... the the People are starting to report that he may not even own the buildings that we think that he owns. It's it's getting to the point where it's just it's terrifying. And I, you want to do that show? Let's do it next week. You want to do what would a Trump presidency look like? We'll 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 do that next week. It'll be fun. Yeah, and, and terrifying. Know, and here's the thing, and I'm and everybody knows I'm not a military person. Um, I, I yeah, I'll just leave it at that. The thing of it is, here's what really scares me, because we kind of saw this on the West Wing um, with Bartlett. Um, if 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 Trump becomes president and he walks in, he gets he does the inauguration thing, he gets sworn in, and he's acting day one. That's day one as commander in chief. That means day one he can walk into the situation room at any moment when he needs to be in there, and he has to make a executive decision. You know, and that's what scares me. Again, I'm not a military person. No, I have but a military that, that, family, that, that, but it scares me. No, but that that's person who can just walk in there with no military background whatsoever. I mean, you don't need to have a military background, in my view, to go into the situation room, but for this person to walk in there and say, yeah, go bomb them. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not have like any rash decisions here. Let's actually, you know, play out every single scenario and and don't give him the code to the football just yet. Well, even the most hawkish of presidents, which you could say was George W. Bush, which I don't think that he really was a war hawk president. I think he was surrounded by war hawks, but I think he, yes. he, he himself didn't, wasn't that guy. I honestly think that most presidents throughout history have not been you know, the kind of people who, and I swear to God, this is what I honestly am afraid of more than anything else. I am afraid that Donald Trump one day will be in the Oval Office and somebody will serve him Thai food and he won't like it and he'll go bomb Thailand. And, and I know that, that that sounds, oh, that's crazy. He would never do that. Really? Is, has he given you any indication that he, he wouldn't have that reaction? Like, Not only does that, but... This is a man who, this is a man who when he's criticized I'm, I'm, on media by women, calls them sluts. But I'm thinking of, like, North Korea. No, you're absolutely right. North Korea, sure, they've done bomb testing, but what has North Korea has really done? Really? What has North Korea ever threatened someone, you know? But if Kim Jong-un or whomever after Kim Jong-un does anything, if they sneeze the wrong way, then he could bomb North Korea. And they haven't done a damn thing to any country besides threaten of a bomb threat. Outside of that, what has North Korea really done? Well, they have horrible fashion sense. That's the thing. Which he honestly (laughs) would probably agree with. So, I mean, the only authoritarian statist country in the world hasn't done anything to China hasn't done anything to Japan South Korea United States besides the occasional bomb testing which don't work that's what I'm saying and yet if one threat to a Emperor Trump and they're gonna get bombed 
And it's like, okay. Do you think he'd pull, great. before we go, and I know we're, let's just, let, we'll end the show in, in, after this, but this is my joke for you for the day. And, 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 my, and, and I don't know if it's a joke, because I'm honestly asking. Do you think he'd pull an Idi Amin and start wearing a military uniform that he never earned? Trump? Do you think he would do that? Trump? Yes. Can't. I'm telling you right now, if that ever happens, you're going to see a very berserk AJ. Like if he shows up with like the fake medals on his chest? Yes. I will go berserk over that, and I will call him a fascist. <laughs> I will call him a dictator, and we're going to live in an authoritarian state, and I don't care what it takes. No, then we start the Rebel Alliance. Exactly. Literally start, I, I've, I've actually talked to my friend. Because if he gets to do it, then I get to do it. Well, no, that's what I, I joked with my friend Dave about this. He said, what happens if Trump becomes president? And I said, honestly, we move to the, to the north woods of Wisconsin because he knows them. Where There's also Line and Kugels, which is not my favorite beer, but you know, good enough for me to get by on. And we would literally move to the north woods, and we would start the Rebel Alliance using their symbols from the original trilogy to unite people. And I would literally just go after Star Wars fans and, and sci-fi and go, join the revolution. This is our symbol. We are fighting against the dictator Trump. Who is Palpatine? We are the rebels, and we need a Luke Skywalker. Somebody please show up. Well, I think you're mis missing an aspect to your plan. What's my aspect? You need to now get Star Wars fans to join the Rebel Alliance, okay? But you're also needing to have the Walking Dead fans because they know how to survive and they know how to take care of certain shit. That is also true. I'd also, uh, I, I would, uh, yeah, no, I would start the Rebel Alliance and I'd wear that, that, that cool three-pronged logo that they have on all their stuff. I would use that and that's what we would unify behind and we would literally violently fight the dictator because that's what he would be. And, 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 and you know, what, what's the old Thomas Jefferson line? The, the, the... The tree of liberty. The, no, the tree of liberty must be defended with the blood by the blood of patriots. Like, Is that Jefferson or Thomas um, or Henry? Or, um, oh, you're right, Thomas Paine. Yes. Sorry. Um, I believe that, and I, I I don't know what else to do. So next week, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to do our first cliffhanger to be continued on next week's episode coming up. Dun dun dun. Will Nick and AJ find their way out of this talking quagmire? Will President, will future glorious leader move forward? And what will all of this mean for the little dog who nobody cares about? Find out next week on Out Front with AJ and Nick. Same, not get sued. Same, not get sued. Out Front. Uh, say goodbye to the people, AJ. Bye, people. We out! 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. You have been listening to the Chicago Podcast Network. <laughs>